natural. Nitro. All right. We love the sound of that nitro engine at the beginning of that audio. All right, fans. Welcome to Nitro and Mud, a Hill Fine podcast. Welcome to episode one, season one for Nitro and Mud. Nitro and Mud for season one is being brought to you by Schaefer's Harley Davidson and Schaefer's Motorsports in Orwichburg, Pennsylvania. So if you're in the central PA area and you're looking for a new Harley-Davidson, go check out the crew at Schaefer's Harley-Davidson. Man, they're going to hook you up with a sweet Harley-Davidson. If KTM is your thing, or the Can-Am side-by-sides, or the Can-Am Spiders, go check out the group over there at Schaefer's Motorsports, and they're going to hook you up with a sweet KTM or a badass side-by-side. All right, let's get down into it, man. 2020 has been a really, really crappy year for motorsports in general. Hill climbing is no exception, man. I tell you what, I I am just dying for some racing, and I really hope we get into some racing. Because, man, let me tell you what, I am going crazy without my hill climb fix here on the East Coast, man. I'm missing the smell of nitro and the excitement in the air on race day. So, yeah, I mean, we're really throwing a damper into things. So let's get on to a little bit on the amateur stuff. I mean, I know uh, Pioneer Motorcycle Club, they're running the amateur nationals uh, down there in Waterford, Ohio. So... I mean, if you're an amateur rider and you want to go try and win that national title, get on down there to the Nationals, man. Show some support for that club for what they've done to help get the race going for that amateur national series. And, you know, it's just not here on the East Coast that this has affected everything. It's affected hill climbing everywhere. You know, the West Coast guys, Naha, I think they got to have one points race before they had to start canceling their rounds. I know they got to have the race out there in Columbus, Montana, the big nasty. So, I mean, that was kind of cool. And I think they ran one in California. Don't quote me on that. I don't have the information here in front of me. So, I don't know. I know Motor Climb Super Series, they didn't have any points races this year. I mean, they did have some events on their schedule, but they weren't points events. So... Yeah, it's just, man, it's messed up. And I know we're all dying for some hill climbing. I mean, yeah, we can go run some outlaw stuff here and there, like down in Troy, Kansas, which, you know, if I had an amateur bike, I would go down there in a heartbeat to ride. But, you know, who am I kidding? I'm not riding anymore. Yeah, those days are those days are gone. So, you know, Beaverdale, they've been running pretty strong their normal schedule for Sunday of every month. So uh, that's pretty cool. At least there's some racing going on. The New England guys, they've been running, you know, a couple races, but I don't think they've run anything for points in their New England series. Uh, Mike Pulver with his Northeast Hill Climb Challenge, they were actually able to get some races going there in the Midwest where, you know, the restrictions aren't quite as bad and they were able to, 
you know, find a way around it and got some races going. So, I mean, that's great. At least some people are getting to do some racing and I get to see a little bit here on social media now and then on what's going on around the country. I mean, that brings me a thing here with this podcast and stuff. I mean, if you're listening and you're in one of these series that I'm not directly involved with yet, then shoot me an email. Let me know what's going on. Uh, you know, so I can report on the show here a little bit. So with all that being said and a little bit of background on everything, let's uh, let's see if we can get our special guest on over here. Uh, our guest tonight for episode one is Rob Redmond. Rob is a director of hill climbing for AMA Pro Racing. I will sit down, and get a little, have a little chat with Rob, and you know, find out a little bit about what's going on with the AMA Pro Series. So, hey, Rob, are you there, buddy? Good. Thanks for having me, Brandon. All right. I guess first thing, Rob, let's get a little background on you. How did you get involved in hill climbing, and where'd you? How did you get to where you're at right now? Uh, it's kind of been a family tradition. Um, my dad helped climb back, you know, like from 1950 into the early 60s. Um, my brother was born in 1950, and uh, it just kind of carried over to him. Um, so he helped climbed, he flat tracked. My dad helped climbed, he flat tracked. Um, my brother raced some snowmobiles. And the crazy thing about it is uh, my brother had quite a bit of talent. And he was actually signed with Factory Yamaha in 1968. And he was going to race snowmobiles and motorcycles. But uh, that, he signed in the fall of 1968. And in 1969, early 1969, he got drafted. So he had to go to Vietnam. So the, uh, the factory ride kind of disappeared then. So that was a real bummer on his side. Kind of broke my dad's heart because it's what they did. I mean, they, were, they rode Yamaha snowmobiles. They rode... Yamaha uh, motorcycles. So that bur bubble kind of burst. My brother got was in the service for four years, and then I started in 1973, and I hill climbed up until 2000. Um, did a little bit of flat tracking, and uh, I won two national amateur titles in 96 and 98. And then uh, my son Nate came along, and he started in 1995, and he you know he rode through the amateur ranks. We started on 50s and. Uh, we, uh, when he was 17 years old, which we, I said, well, let's go do the pro thing, you know, let's try it. So we dabbled a little bit and found out we could kind of run in on the pro side of it. And, uh, so in, let's see, 2008, he, uh, we did a full season and, uh, God, we had great success. Um, Started the season off, and he, he was leading the national points up until Muskegon, Michigan, and we were riding a 612 KTM with 30-horse shot of nitrous oxide. And uh, I got greedy on the NOS, blew it up, but make a long story short, he, uh, he ended up third in the points that year. And uh, the following year, he got offered a ride through Dr. Bob. And uh, he went on to ride for Dr. Bob in, from 2009 until 2012. And... Uh, he got hurt in New Hampshire, finished the year out, but uh, it was quite an experience riding for Bob, and he did win four consecutive national titles in the extreme class. And then I started dabbling a little bit. Uh, the Campbells, the Campbells uh, were running the series, then Scott and Amanda, and uh, I started helping out a little bit. So um, 
that's kind of my background on uh, our racing part of it. So I've been around it my whole life. Uh, I was born in 1965, and so I've pretty much been been around hill climbing. Outside of two years, that's all we did was hill climb. It sounds kind of like me. I've been with it since 82 when I was born with my dad and fawn around with our, you know, Krieger and Sons and helping fill out and everything that we've gone through. Yeah, it's a it's a great community to be part of. Um, the amateur ranks were good. Uh, when, when we came to AMA Pro, everybody was very helpful. And that first year, we ran a half a season and, you know, um, it was, it's a different experience going from amateur to pro just because of the MA pro series has a lot of spectators and it's based off, you know, there's a lot of people that show up to the races and I never got to ride it, but when you race in front of a crowd, it's, it's a cool experience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It makes it, it makes it a lot different. Uh, you said Nate came in, you know, around 2008, that was about the tail end of my career. That's when I stopped. And I remember, some of Nate's first season there. Yeah, it was, uh, like I said, in, 2000, in 2008, when we came out full, full on, uh, the hill actually washed out. The whole top of the hill let go at uh, York. That was our first full, full, full season. And uh, they put a turn in the hill, and he ended up winning that race. So that uh, we were, thought we were on to something, you know. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a very exciting time in my life and, and in Nate's life, you know. Yeah, it's great you know, to see how, you know, you you start out and you, you're in the same sport for your entire life. And, you know, you're still continuing. You're, you don't ride anymore. Your kids aren't, aren't uh, participating anymore. But you're still you're still here. You're still trying to help grow the sport, and that's you know one of the great features about you is you're you're growing the sport. You stepped up and took the reins of this, and you really got some good things going. Well, actually, you know, it was um, Chris Carr. Chris Carr was uh, chief uh, chief of competition in AMA down at AMA Pro Racing in Florida, and uh, if you, I mean, you 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 remember just like I do there was a professional hill climbers association and they ran it and um you know we always thought if we could get a little bit of the sponsorship the flat track was getting um boy it helped the hill climb series and uh so chris wanted to take it solely on back to ama and uh he asked me if i would run the deal run the series for him which i'm doing um just so everybody knows i'm not an employee of ama pro racing um I don't get a paycheck from them. I do this because I love it. My pay comes from the promoter and our crew of people that come in and put on the event. So, um, yeah, it's definitely for the love of the sport. Oh, yeah, definitely. I didn't know. I thought maybe you got a little bit of kickback or you were on AMA's payroll. We had to give you an official title and an email address and also, I mean, that's really cool that you're doing it just for the pure love of the sport. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's something that, Hill climbing is unique, and there's still a, a very special niche for hill climbing. There's an attraction to it, um, you know, especially on the East Coast with the nitromethane, you know, um, going very fast, the bikes being so long. It's just uh, there's an attraction, and there's a fan base that has followed AMA Pro Hill Climb for a lot of years. I mean, we're dating back into the 40s where there, there was crowds that came to watch because, you know, if you, if you know any of the history of it, 
the manufacturers wanted to show that they had the biggest horsepower motorcycle and uh, the fans were drawn to it, you know, and uh, that's one thing that's so unique about the pro hill climb side of it on the AMA side is it's spectator based. So, um, you know, as a, if a promoter promotes his event and the promoter does his job, uh, the promoter benefits, but the rider also benefits too because of how our overage system is set up. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very good system. Um, the clubs are diehard clubs. They've been around forever. And, uh, you know, we got a couple new ones that come in, they go out, they come in, they go out. And, um, so yeah, I mean, we do have our diehard clubs though. Yeah, we definitely have a diehard clubs and, you know, our season, our schedule fluctuates, you know, anywhere from eight to 12 races from year to year for the last 10 years or so. I mean, I remember when I came, when I started riding in 98, uh, on the pro circuit, we had, I think almost 20 races that year that we rode. Now, some of them were double. We went to some Hills two and three times, but we were 20 races. We rode, Right. you know, back in the eighties when my dad rode, I can remember we rode every weekend from the first weekend of May to the first weekend of October. We raced every weekend except 4th of July weekend. So there's some give and take there. And I, I think, I would like to see us be able to get some more races on our schedule eventually. Uh, what, how do you think, do you think we can pull more hills in? There's a lot of hills out there. Um, yeah, it comes to, you know, there's, there's so much that plays into it. Um, there, there's a lot of, a lot of the hills, you know, West Virginia used to have a lot of, a lot of hills that they rode. They had a, a good series. Ohio had a lot of hills. Um, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, um, New York, you know, I mean, we used to run, there used to be three different hills in New York and, um, it's to find a hill that suits our motorcycles because I know our fan base, they come to see them go super fast, jump high in the air. Well, yeah. a lot of the hills are, you know, there's a lot of hills that are only 200 feet long, 200, 200 to 250 feet long. And the guys really can't stretch their legs out. And then it comes to a safety side of it, um, of shutdown on top of the hill because the guys are going so fast. The shutdown, there's not appropriate room on top for shutdown. And, um, you know, it for what it costs to bring the show in, um, they got to have a pretty good fan base. And that's the problem. They got the, the promoter has to really promote his event and be creative to get them in because – um, you know, because of a sanctioned fee, um, AMA, I mean, we probably should start from the beginning on this. Um, so there's, yeah, a, there's a sanctioned fee, there's a, you know, rider medical insurance. So basically when AMA pro hill climb comes to any, uh, a venue such as white Rose, Pennsylvania, they all pay the same. They pay a $2,500 sanction fee. Well, people think, Oh, you know, AMA boy, they're putting a lot of money in their pocket. But for that $2,500, what it costs for rider medical insurance that they put on, it costs $20,000 for a season. So if you base it off 10 events, $2,000 of that $2,500 goes for rider medical. You get down to seven races and you break that 20 grand down, you know, that, that's 27, blah, 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 $2,700 event. Well, they only caught the sanction fee is $2,500. So they're actually taking money out of their pocket 
to cover the sanction fee. You know, and they have employees that um, generate the credentials that anything that anything, you know, it's a business. So anything that is billable to hill climb, they have to add so much time to, into the hill climb part of it for whoever works on it. So, um, you know, a sanction fee is $2,500. Um, AMA Pro Racing re requires a th uh, $3 million liability insurance with a $5 million aggregate, which is... Um, they want that to protect the promoter. Uh, you know, somebody gets hurt or somebody gets, a uh, spectator gets hurt, loses an eye, a motor blows up, shrap metal gets into the crowd. You know, they want to build, they want the promoter to be covered. So the liability doesn't spread out to everybody. So um, on average, our promoters are paying 32 to $3,700 an event for, uh, you know, insurance. And then our minimum purse is a $7,500 guarantee. So, and uh, then when our crew comes in, our crew gets paid $1,500, and that's clerk, of course, announcer, um, myself. Um, so, you know, um, there's not, that's a bare minimum. And that's $1,500 that's split between three people. So you add it all up, and it's $15,500 to bring a show in. And, you know, our, our current promoters, have a system they've got to figure it figured out they they do different things and if a promoter just thinks the, the crowd is going to come um they have to be more diehard motorcycles for one but you got to have a few other things everybody's every promoter has got their niche and um you know uh scott walls this year out of uh, scottsburg indiana he was going to come aboard and he had a great game plan put together he had a great avenue he was going to take and uh, I think it would have drew a lot of fans. And um, it's just too bad that 2020s ended up like it has. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, 2020 is definitely a huge mess for everybody right now. I know we're down. We've lost, what, three quarters of the season already. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it, you know, I've, I've heard rumor mills that, oh, it's AMA's fault. Well, it's not AMA's fault because what's happening is each individual county is dictating. And... That's, that's the problem because every county and every state has different rules. There's no set rules. And, um, you know, we lost our first race. Our first race was uh, Seven Springs. And we had them last year, and they had a great turnout, and they were super excited. We had a, There was a whole new hill we were going to run, and the spectators were going to be able to get close this year. And, um, I mean, I, we, we locked in. We did some negotiation, and we locked in at – $15,000 guaranteed purse. So um, it was a chance on their side. It was a chance on our side, but you know, it was, uh, it was locked in money last year. Our purse there was $12,000. So um, they had a good, they had a good spectator turnout and it, it, this year has just really been bad. I, I hope 2021 brings kind of gets us back to some normalcy. Yeah, I, I kind of think it will. I At least I hope it will. I want to get back to racing. I mean, I'm going nuts not having any racing. I, I know you said uh, people have that down, and I've had people comment on Facebook to me about, you know, out west they're running hills. Why don't the East Coast guys come out west and run the hills? And for a simple fact, a lot of it, it's dry. For First of all, for most of the East Coast guys, like we're all Pennsylvania, New York, New Hampshire, a lot of most East Coast guys are East Coast guys, so you're looking 
that Utah hill climb, you're looking at two weeks off of work to go out there. Well, I mean, all the series that are good. I, I'm not going to condemn any series because oh no, they, yeah, they're all good. They're all definitely all good. A strong point, but the money just isn't there. You know, uh, I know Kester's. They went out to Columbus, Montana, and uh, uh, the team the, the team drove out. John, the rider, flew out, and um, you know, it was a three thousand dollar trip for him. And you just can't. It's pretty tough because everybody's got to have a job. Everybody works. I mean, and it's just so hard to get the time off of work. It's so hard, you know, and it costs a lot of money to travel. And it's probably the same reason that people from the West Coast don't come to the East Coast because it's a, you know, it's a, there's a lot of travel involved. So, yeah, there's a lot of travel involved. And really between the four series that we have, um, the roles are different. In each series, the the bikes are set up totally different. You know, a, a guy with an East Coast bike go out to West Coast Hill, and he's he's going to struggle. I, I know Phil went to Sturgis one year after Muskegon, and he didn't have a big enough sprocket to slow the bike down enough for the ledges and the turns. Well, and it's not so much that. I, I have a lot of spectators come and ask me, you know, they've, they've heard of Naha, they've heard of uh, Moto Climb, they've heard of the Rockwell series, and they always ask me, what's the difference? And I said, the simplest way I can explain it is East Coast motorcycles are top fuel dragsters, West Coast motorcycles are monster trucks. Both have big horsepower, some guys riding nitromethane, some guys riding, run nit- nitrous oxide on the West Coast. But the chassis are set up to do two different things. And the crossover, you know, Jay Selstrom's tried it. Jay's, Jay's went to Columbus, and he's found out the chassis doesn't work. And I think John pretty much found that out with uh, his open bike, too. You know, it's nothing against either series. It's the motorcycles are built different. So um, it's just two different animals. And they don't, unfortunately, they don't cross over. Um, Dave Watson, great example. Uh, Jeff Thomas. Jeff Thomas in the same year won the Naha Championship and the East Coast Championship, but he had two different motorcycles. And um, so, yeah, I mean, everything. everybody has a great series. It's just they're two different animals. Yeah, they definitely are. And that's always been a thing, you know, back in the early parts of sport, it was hill climbing was hill climbing. It was the national series that traveled to pretty much all 48 states, basically, and had one championship round that was usually held in Muskegon, Michigan, if I'm correct. Yeah, um, you know, there's there's a lot of things. I, I absolutely agree. I, I believe it should there should be one national series, and, um, you know, it could be set up like Supercross, the 250s. You have an East Coast, a West Coast series, the riders stay within their series, and then, you know, we bring them together at one race, like they do at Las Vegas, and um, you put them together, and we would just crown a national champion. And and the thing is, if we could set it up a lot of different ways. I've talked to, with in Florida about this because they absolutely agree it should be one series, but uh, you know, there's a lot of kinks and there's a lot of people involved that are doing their own things, so. It's uh, it's kind of tough when there's four different series and, you know, everybody's got their own agenda on what they're doing and how they're doing and what's working for them. So um, 
Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. It should be a national series, but you can't have guys in California driving to New Hampshire and, you know, and um, Pennsylvania, and you can't have the guys from the East Coast driving to the West Coast. So it's yeah, not, not it's, with the purses that we have now. What's that? Not with the purses that we have have now. It just doesn't pay for anybody to travel coast to coast. No, it needs national sponsorship, and um, it's uh, that's that's a hard thing. You know, like this year, I had so many things in the works. Um, I had Realm Communications that they were going to do our whole series. They were going to video our whole series. They were finding the sponsorship, and out of out of ten races this year. We were going to have uh, five races on Mav TV, and we were going to have four races on the Spot Fox Sports Network too. And as our races start dropping off, uh, when we ended up with our current schedule, um, Glenn from Realm Communications called me and said, "Robbie says I've lost our sponsorship money because of the number of races." So, um, but he's you know Glenn, he's he's ready to go for twenty twenty one. And I, I just, I hope that things change for 2021. Yeah, I, I really do. Um, well, let's get on. We have a new class format this year. So let's talk a little bit about the new classes that we got going on for 2021 or 2020, really. Right. Um, well, with Florida, um, with AMA Pro Racing, they, they decide, you know, when they took this over, um, Two, the the CEO came to our race, and at that time it was Chris Carr, and they brought their wives with, who are into racing, and they brought up them. You know, they went, they came to three different races and watched, and um, you know, they couldn't tell the difference between our two, our extreme class and our premier class. The only way we could tell them apart was by the number plates, because everybody's got their equipment looking so nice. The bikes are identical. They're matching. Um, you know, the Joe Spectator that comes in, the bikes sound the same. They hear the same names on the motorcycles going up the hill. And, it, you know, they know what was working for flat track with this twins class. And so they said, well, you know, let's for 2020, let's change this up. We'll run our, 450, our 450 class and let's do a, a twins class and we'll build a premier class. And uh, so, yeah. I mean, that's all. Everything came this year. We're, we're going to start this year with this new twins class. And basically the rules for the twins class are, is any four-stroke twin cylinder, doesn't matter if it's a, a V or a side-by-side. -side. Um, and the rules are very generic. I mean, 650 minimum CC on no matter what you run. Push rod motors can be 1,800 CC max. Overhead cam, 1,203 CCs. They have to be normally aspirated, no turbos. Fuel must be a petroleum-based fuel, race fuel. It can be an oxygenated fuel. Um, no nitro, no nitrous oxide, no alcohol. Uh, has to run a knobby tire. Um, that's They wanted to go back to a knobby tire for this class. And uh, maximum rim width shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder is 3.5 inches. So, um, you know, it leaves it pretty wide open. And... There's so many things out there that you can build for this class. And, you know, I mean, if people are into motorcycles, they're seeing which way the market is actually going now. You're starting to see 
a lot of twins, whether it's a V-twin or a parallel twin, every manufacturer is making one. And the CC limit is getting smaller and smaller just for the simple fact insurance purposes and what sells and how much money they have to put into these new production motorcycles. So um, I think the twins class is going to be very, very beneficial for our sport. Um, you know, I, it's no secret now, uh, Indy, Indian motorcycle got involved with our twins class this year. And um, that's something that very, I'm very proud of because we tried, <clears throat> we tried to get manufacturer input with the 450 class for many years and it just never came through. And, um, you know, this twins class, Indian jumped right back on board. And, it, I mean, I started this process in February talking with Gary Gray, the CEO of Indian, and uh, it didn't take long, and he followed our series, and he uh, he picked his team, and um, they went forward with it, you know. So without even turning a wheel, we had one factory that was interested in what we were doing because it's it's what what's happening now in the world of motorcycling. Yeah, that's a real good thing. We'll touch more on that Indian thing here towards the end of our conversation. Um, I had a little question on the twin class. What What is the reason behind just running a knobby tire? Um, just for the fact of it separates. Um, it's a big separation between our premier class and the twins class. I mean, people come to people that come to our East Coast series. They're used to nitromethane chains and exo very exotic equipment. And this twins class is kind of taking it back to more of a production type of class where you don't have to run the chains. You buy a knobby tire and, you know, you throw it on there and, and you go. And um, for one, you know, these twins do make a lot of horsepower, but now if people start got, got to start playing with chains and, uh, you know, building wider swing arms and uh, the protection on the back wheel. Um, it's two different animals. It's, uh, they're trying to keep it very, you know, close to production. You can do whatever you want to the motor, but the actual appearance of the motorcycle is if an FZ07 comes in, and granted it's going to be in a motocross chassis, but it's something that people can relate to and you know as well as I do, Brandon, people, our spectators ride in on Harley-Davidson's, and they ride in on street bikes. Our, our mass majority of our spectator base ride in on motorcycles. And if you don't have somebody to cheer for, because everybody cheers for their brand, you know, whether it's Harley, Indian, Triumph, whatever it is. But to answer your question, just a simple way to make this class work. Okay. Hey, that's pretty good. I mean, that was one of my things that when you first announced the class that I, I was kind of like, I don't understand the the knobby tire thing. To me, it's, you know, it's just a, an amateur bike with, a, you know, a guy with a pro card on because that's, that's the other thing. It's a little hard on the hill climb because there are some great amateur riders that would be way competitive in the professional ranks and they just don't move up. Right. Well, everybody everybody's always thought that on the East Coast. You need a you need a chain tire to have traction. And we had a rider come in this year that ran a knobby at just about every event and was on the podium, you know, and that is, I mean, that, that I'm not going to, it's no secret. That's Logan Zapala. 
And uh, he came in and he ran a knobby tire. He tried a bolted paddle. And he always, if anybody paid attention, he was always back to his knobby tire, no matter which hill he was at. So um, tire, t- tire technology has come so far nowadays that it's just, you know. And then if you take a, a motorcycle that's got 120 horsepower and it's running on a petroleum-based fuel and you throw a, a chain tire on it where the chain wheel, you know, what's a chain wheel weigh, 40 40 pounds? 40 to 50 pounds, depending if you have an 18 or 19. Right. So, I mean, the added weight is just robbing horsepower from those motorcycles. And so, um, and that was kind of something that Indian was very specific on. Um, you know, they they were really in favor of that knobby tire. So, um, yeah, that's just uh, kind of a change, and um, hopefully we can gain some manufacturers. Hopefully. Uh, I'd like to see Harley throw their card in now that Indian laid down the hammer. Yeah, we don't, you know, time will tell. But uh, um, back to our class structure, Brandon, um, in our premier class, that hasn't, that's just opened up the CCs. So it's 500 CC to unlimited CCs, any tire combination, any fuel, and a rule that was passed two years ago, turbos are allowed. So um, that's our premier extreme. I mean, that's, that's our extreme hill climb part of it. So, okay, and then we got to clarify this for you know some of the fans that are out there, and they're going to think, "Oh man, I have a nitro power turbo bike." We got to clear that it, it's still written. If you run turbo, you have to be on a petroleum gasoline, right? Exactly. No nitrous oxide. No no nitro methane. If you're running a turbo, it has to be a petroleum based fuel. <clears throat> okay, that's good. And you know, with the 450 class, you know that's a pretty standard class. Now, I remember I when we were talking about doing a new class, I know we had a bunch of discussions on Facebook, a bunch of the guys and stuff, and, you know, I thrown out there that doing, had the 450 class, but making an open singles class. Uh, what do you feel about that? Do you think the AMA would feel about making that an open singles class? Um, the open singles class, when you, you know, when you go to, when you go to, it's supposed to be a production-based class. And, I mean, it goes as far as they have to run production plastic. They have to run a front fender. Um, you know, they can they can extend the bike. They can do whatever they want to as long as they stay in the CC limit, except for it has to remain stock, bore, and stroke. Um, it's a production-based motorcycle. And the way the class was set up, it was set up so hopefully we'd attract young talent and they could come in and ride and um you know it's been a sore spot contingency has been talked about contingency money contingency money and until we grow the sport the it's going to be a while before there's contingency money oh yeah definitely they have to see that there's there's value in it to give that money and you know i brought it up to uh, the board in florida about adding like the cr 500s and or the kx 500 the old 502 strokes and their response was where can you go buy one you know um where can you go buy a new a, a, a new five production base 500 and you know i mean that makes sense i mean I know there's a lot of them out there i understand there's a lot of them out there but now all of a sudden you're crossing the line you know we i witnessed it on the amateur side Certain hills, the 500s will be faster. 
certain hills, the 450s are, are faster. But uh, it comes down to keeping things current, you know. Um, hmm. there, isn't a, there isn't a production base 500 built anymore. No, there's not. Uh, nice on a two-stroke. Uh, KTM still make the their 500 four-stroke or 525? Nobody, nobody makes a, a, well, KTM still, they make a, they don't even make a 550 or 525 anymore, you know? Uh, okay, they don't make the 525. I wasn't sure if they still made 525. No, they went to a 505, and then uh, I believe all they have is the, yeah, in, in, outside of an enduro bike. They still have a 500, I believe, in the enduro series, but not in the SX model. Okay. So, yeah, with that being said, I mean, uh, our class structures have, have I know there's a lot of people that were upset because there's a lot of two, you know, a lot of teams have two nitro bikes. And uh, the way I explained it to them is we've been doing the same thing for how long? You know, every, we've been running this these same classes for how long where it's been the extreme and the, the unlimited class. And we've gained no sponsorship whatsoever. <laughs> So let's try this and see if it works, you know, and they've got a lot of money invested and either they're going to sell one of their nitro bikes or they're going to put a rider on it or they're going to have it for a spare. And, um, you know, we have to try something different because we haven't attracted the sponsorship and we need sponsorship. I mean, we need sponsors to come in and, um, that's the way, that's the way this is going to grow. And, the promoter needs help, um, riders need help, and it's just a way of a little bit of change. Nobody likes change. Change is hard for everybody to swallow. And I just hope that this goes the direction I think it's going to go because, for one, it, it's already made progress. We're farther ahead. It's just too bad we haven't got to run any races. So, Yeah, we're definitely farther ahead, and it seems to be making progress. And I know from my standpoint with, especially working with Phil and stuff, Phil with his, his bikes are older, take a lot of care and a lot of money every week to keep them things running. And it was brought up, are we going to let two of the bikes sit? Are we going to pull someone up, trying to give someone a chance? And for Phil, at least, it was that it's, if he's going to put that much work into a motor, he's going to be the one riding it. Right. But and I hope some of the other guys think different. You know, there's a lot of guys that have two bikes, and like we said before, there's a lot of amateur guys that <clears throat> could really use that shot and that opportunity. They might not have the funds to build a bike for that premier class. They have a 450 to come up and give them two classes. They should be able to maybe afford to build, you know, a twins bike. And that would give them the opportunity to run three classes a day. Right. And, you know, um, for the time being, for this year and probably for next year, one thing that needs to be added to that is if somebody comes in with a twins motorcycle, one of the twins bikes, they will be allowed to jump that into our premier class. Now, that, that rule will not be around forever. We don't know, you know, we didn't, the AMA didn't know, AMA Pro Racing didn't know how many bikes were going to come into this twin class. And we still have to put it on a show for the spectators. Um, yeah. You know, and I've had a lot of complaints on that one too. Well, that's not fair. They're getting two shots on the hill with the same motorcycle. But 
they're not running they're not running nitromethane um the, these bikes will be built different they're not going to be super long um even if they wanted to throw a bottle on if it was plumbed for nitrous oxide um most of them are going to be pretty fairly short motorcycles and you know that's um you know when you add horsepower on our hills they need to be longer so um it gives them an opportunity to come out because i know there's amateurs I know some of the top amateurs are building twins right now, and uh, or they're done, and they're going to see how this plays out. Well, if they're going to drive across, halfway across the country to come to a race, they can bring two motorcycles and run three classes. And you know, like I'm going to tell everybody, this is a, a two-year deal where you can do this, and it just gives them an opportunity to show themselves that. One thing that's unique about the East Coast, there's teams that put riders on bikes. And that's very unique. I mean, that's what happened with my son, Nate. Um, that made it for us. We didn't have to pull a trailer. We could actually fly to events because he had a full sponsorship on motorcycle, you know, on, on the bikes that were maintained for him. Basically, it was a full factory ride. He showed up and he rode the motorcycles. We, he jumped on an airplane and flew home. So, um you know, there's a lot of advantages, I think, on the East Coast because there's so many teams that have these bikes that if there's a, a rider that shows potential that isn't a, a guy that's going to throw the motorcycle away, it'll be no different than what happened for my son or Jay Solstrom with Dr. Bob. He put him on the bikes, and it was a full-blown ride. So, Yeah, it, Dr. Bob did that for a lot of guys. You know, uh, your son Nate, Jay, Tiger. I had a lot of guys that, that got their start and had a lot of success riding for Bob. Yeah, and that's one thing that's pretty cool about the, the East Coast side of it. There's a lot of guys that have two nitro bikes that would be willing to put people on if these riders can prove themselves. And I, I, I'm hoping that's the way it goes because that will make our premier class so exciting. Yeah, that definitely would, and I... I would like to see a higher rider turnout. I, they're just not amateur guys aren't moving up, and it's the expense of building a nitro bike and traveling and running that because you're in forty to fifty grand to have a bike built or build one, and then another twenty thirty grand a year traveling, it's right. for no little to no payback really. Right, and you know there's there's guys that are very talented that build their own motorcycles and. And they can do it for a lot less. But if, if you're one of the guys that has to pay to have everything done, yeah, it's going to, you know, um, I think 50 grand is on the high side myself if, if you're building a four-cylinder, you know. Um, but you still got, it still comes down to somebody's got to build a chassis for you where the twins class, um, the motors are so small. And if you're the guys that are riding KTMs, a lot of them are riding with a stock chassis, you know. Um, so there's a lot of advantages to it but you know there's people that build frames but they're so narrow they're a little bit longer it's a lot easier to transform a twin versus a four-cylinder because you got to go so wide you got to add in the length and basically everybody has to build a chassis from scratch so um it's uh yeah there's i mean nitromethane i was you know i'd never been around nitromethane before and once you get a taste of it and you smell it, you know, it's, it's a different animal. And, 
So, but you know, Rog- I, like I gotta say, like I say, Logan Zapala came out this year on a gas bike and um, strictly gasoline, and ran very short. Talented rider, and he—I mean—he was in the championship chase right up until well, the guys were, they were tied coming into the double staircase this year. So, um, it's a preference thing. Um, the guys that know nitro methane that can make it work, and um, they go fast, you know. Yeah, it, and Logan, I, I don't know if any other guy could have come in and been as competitive as Logan was with, you know, a gas bike in a fuel class because Logan's just – he's so smooth and such an excellent rider, and that bike works so well for him. Well, and, you know, you got to think back to Colby McCutcheon. Colby McCutcheon was running a gas, gas bike with nitrous oxide, and he won the national title, I believe it was 2011. You know, um, so it's, it's rider and, you know, you have to have a mechanic and, um, you know, Dave McCutcheon, he, he had the nitrous oxide working on that Jixu that he ran that, you know, back in 2011 and they won a national title. So, um, yeah, nitromethane is may horsepower, but it takes the right people to keep them tuned. It takes the right people to keep them tuned, and it, it definitely takes patience with your fuel mixture. There, there's a lot that goes into the, the fuel mixture there, too, that, you know, fans don't know, and that's you know, that's Buku's secret to all these race teams is their their mixture and how they mix and set their fuels. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, and the crowd, you know, the crowd, I mean, our general population that comes in um, to our races it's no secret. It's an, it's an older crowd base and you know, they're old gearheads from way back and um, they love the smell of nature, but nothing they want. I mean, that's, that's what they're after. And um, what's cool though, is we're starting to see our fan base at certain events turn and it's turning into a family deal. And that's, that's super neat too. And you know, the older generation is, excuse me, telling the newer generation about, about the nitromethane. So we're, excuse me. That's okay. I mean, everything's, everything's changing. Everything's evolving. So we need nitromethane. We need nitrous oxide. We need race gas. And, uh, right now I think we got the best of both worlds if we ever get to race. Yeah, I, I definitely think we do have the best of both worlds. Um, I know I'm here in Pennsylvania, and uh, my dad's a club down here, White Rose. Uh, they just had a meeting last night, and so far, the, the White Rose event's still a go for September 19th. Um, the club's not backing down from our governor, so I let's keep our fingers crossed that we get that going. Right. It's Yeah, I mean, I'll give you a good example. This weekend, the Indianapolis 500 is going on in, in, in you know, the Indy 500. They can have no no fan base, no spec, <clears throat> no spectators. <clears throat> AFT is there in Indy two, running the Indy Mile, and they can have twenty five percent. Give me one second here, Brad. Yeah, yeah, go go get a drink, Rob. It's not COVID, Brandon. <laughs> oh, I didn't think so. Like I, say, 
I'm getting ready to text to get another glass of brandy brought back to me. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, so, yeah, I mean, what I was trying to explain there is AFT is coming in to Indianapolis this weekend. They're running a doubleheader, and they get to have 25% in the grandstands. So they can have, you know, they can have like 3,500 people in their grandstands this weekend where the Indy 500 can have nobody, and it's in the same town. So, <clears throat> I don't know how you justify it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how you justify it either. And that's, you know, that's some of the reason why we lost so many events because the riders, the promoters, are going to lose their their behinds. They can't have crowds in, and the riders aren't going to make any money. So, well, yeah. the high the high fly MX Park that he, he was a brand new promoter this year, and Scott was so into this, he put new lighting on the hill. It was going to be a day race. I told him it'd be better at a night race. He illuminated the hill. He was ready to go. And uh, he got a letter from their county commissioner that he could have a 1,000 people total on grounds. That included the paddock. So um, that allows 800 people through the gate. He can't even he can't even do a break even. Yeah, so, no, he's, he's in the hole right off the bat. Exactly. So, you know, as much as he hated to cancel, and he, he went right to the very end. And finally, he just said, I, I can't make a go of it, you know. So that's, you know, that's that's the hard thing. And, you know, everybody says, well, they're racing in Columbus, Montana. You know, well, yeah, they are racing in Columbus, Montana and Billings. But if you look at the COVID rate in Montana, I think they're number 49 on, on the states for the lowest cases, you know. And uh, different different parts of the country different parts of the country yeah it's different parts of the country you know i mean it's not as heavily populated as it is in the places where we're running right and it comes down to the local you know aft has a pretty good program put together on how they're handling this and they're being very strict um the only people in the paddock are the racers and ex Three, three or four mechanics and the team owner. There's no families in the paddock. They have to wear masks at all times. The hand sanitizer stations, um, the outhouses, so many outhouses for every people, amount of people. And, um, you know, they, they worked really hard at this. And the thing with them, they're their own promoter. They, you know, they're not relying on another uh, another promoter. They're, they're promoting these races themselves. So, um, yeah, they have a good system. And uh, the riders are abiding by it. I mean, when they do rider introductions in, uh, at Barberville, Florida, at Volusia, they were in the back of a pickup going around the track, and they were doing rider introductions. And as the guys were in the back of the trucks, they still had to wear face face coverings, you know. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, people kind of want to complain about it, but if you want to race, these are the rules you got to follow. And our paddock won't be any different. Um Facial coverings, um, mechanics will be limited on helping on the line, and uh, the hand sanitizer stations and the outhouses. And um, AFT has gone as far as to have a, a different credential. The riders are scanned in; they cannot leave the paddock area, or the people that are with them cannot leave the paddock area. Um, so they're selling it to the county as they're being, they're taking a very pro you know pro they're proactive on this. And really pr protecting, 
So, um, yeah, there's just a lot of changes to make it work. And it depends upon which part of the country you're in. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, to get off, we'll go off the COVID thing because I, we could talk blue in our face on COVID and how it's affected this and how I feel and how you feel and how Joe down the road feels. Right. Uh, uh, let's go into uh, bringing some more and working more with some of the amateur series. Now, I know like uh, Mike Pulver, he's a former pro hill climber from back in the 80s and 90s. And he started a Northeast Hill Climb Challenge Series, which is a AMA Pro or not an AMA uh, feature series in the hill climb. Uh, right. Is there any way that work his series in with the pro series and you know bring them amateur guys? It's a traveling series and travel and run, you know, the day after our events or the day before our events or anything like that. Um, well, it comes down to the promoter wanting to do that. Um, on our side of it, of AMA Pro, um, we started the provisional license, and Mike Prover's series is included in that. Um, same deal um, as the amateur nationals. You have to be in the top 30% of your class in the 450 class, the 600, the 750, and the open class. So Mike, Mike I mean, there's guys out of Mike's series that are eligible to come to our series. And um, that's how it's working with the amateur nationals. And how it works is they can ride one race less than half of our series. So on a 10-race series, they can come and they can dabble. And, I mean, it's worked. Uh, Max Keens, prime example. He came out last year, worked great. Um, Jake Hagstrom, same thing. Or Trey Higstrom, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Trey. You know, he started on a provisional license. And um, Braden Henry, Braden Henry from Mankato, he came out and he won Freemansburg on a provisional license on a, on a FZ09 three-cylinder that he runs in the amateur series that he won the national title on. He came out and won Freemansburg last year. Yeah, that was, that was a great ride, man. That was, that was something to see, that ride. And that's, that's the whole reasoning behind behind the provisional license is to get these guys to hopefully come and run, you know, dabble a little bit and then make a commitment because that license is good for two years. They can run that license for two years. And then they either have to make a choice. Either they go to a full pro license or they stay in the amateur ranks. And, you know, it's a lot of extra work, but it's a way for these guys to come out and dabble and see if they like it and, you know, showcase themselves. Yeah, and, see if they can compete and stuff. Right. Well, to show other team owners that, hey, I can ride a motorcycle and I'm not going to throw your motorcycle away and, you know, be stupid about riding when you, you know, because everybody's got so much money in their motorcycles, they don't want somebody to come out and throw it away and, you know, wreck a motorcycle. So, it's a way for them to showcase themselves. And, uh, you know, a lot of that's a, that's a lot of the problem that people have with AMA where you have to have a pro license and you can't run the amateur series and you can't just sign up and ride. Well, um, that has all changed on our side too. People just can't sign up and ride anymore. They have to show, they have to show a qualification through the amateur ranks, whether it's, uh, you know, like it states in our rule book, you have to be an A rider in another discipline 
or a previous national champion, or we would accept people from the, the West Coast, whether it's Nana, Rockwell, um, Motocline, if they have proven success, you know. And um, that's kind of hard for the guys on the East Coast, just for the simple fact they used to be able to just sign up and ride. And AMA's approach on it is, if it's a professional series, you should have some credibility behind you. Oh, yeah, definitely. I When I started, you know, I, I amateur flat tracked. I, I didn't do any amateur hill climbing. You know, my dad did pro hill climbing, but we'd never built an amateur bike. I, I flat tracked until I turned 16. And I had the choice. I could keep going with the flat track or I could go hill climb. And hill climbing is what I knew. And for me to get my pro license when I turned 16, I had to basically sign up. Well, I had to get, I think, two riders, a referee to sign saying that I could ride the motorcycle. Right. So, I mean, it wasn't much to get to become a professional rider for me, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that, you know, um, like I said, not here to talk bad about other series, but if you go to any other series, they have such a big turnout that basically the riders are paying for their own purses. Where on the AMA side, the promoter, uh, you know, um, I'm going to give you a figure here. Last year, we had seven events. We had a total purse payout of $113,635 on seven races. And, you know, you break that down per race straight across the board, that's $16,000 an event. Well, not every event paid sixteen grand, but we had, you know, um, Michael Fonsworth um, up in New Hampshire. His purse was $21,000. The Devil Staircase last year was thirty two grand, And that's all generated off of the spectators. Granted, our minimum purses are only 7500 bucks, but it's a fair shake because if the promoter is making money, the riders are making more money. Where basically it's a set purse on the West Coast, and they have so many entries, the riders are paying for the purses, you know? And... Um, they don't really, they don't run an overage system. So, um, you know, what's better? I don't know. I just know what, on our side of the country, what works. And I, that's something we're, I'm pretty proud of because our promoters are doing their job of uh, advertising their events. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the purses have grown and, and definitely the, the fan base has grown at least in the last four years, I'd say. I, I can remember when White Rose, you'd have, 2,000 people max there, and the last two years, that place was packed. Well, when we started in 2007, I remember, you know, there were seven, 800 people at White Rose, total spectators, and uh, their last event last year, they had 3,500 people there, and, you know, I mean, White Rose is growing, um, Freemansburg is growing, I'm going to use uh, Seven Springs, uh, you know, that's a Harley owners group. And they came in and they had a great rate first. first, And that was on a Friday afternoon when we raced. If you remember that, two years ago. Yeah. We raced on a Friday afternoon. And, you know, um, last year they had a $12,000 purse, their first time event. So, um, they're, you know, our promoters are doing their jobs. And 
that's what's really sad for this year. I hate to keep bringing up what could have been this year, but um, Seven Springs had locked in at fifteen grand. Michael Fonsworth was locked in at twenty-five thousand dollars, and um, you know, a typical first race at White Rose is that ten to eleven thousand um, dollars. Freemansburg is fifteen thousand dollars. Our first four races this year could could have been sixty thousand dollars worth of money for the riders. So it's uh, again, COVID really COVID really bit us this year. But yeah, it did. We'll get back and hopefully be stronger than ever for twenty twenty one. But yeah, no, um, I, we have a very good system, and uh, you know, um, our promoters pay thirty and a half percent of the gate. That's that's what goes into our purse, and we get into Overage at when we reach twelve hundred and thirty four people paid through the gate. That's when we go into Overage, and um, you know, I mean, to break it down, once once we get to that number, we get six dollars and ten cents from every ticket that is purchased, and it's. Uh, I think it's a real good system. I think it's a real good system. No, it's definitely a really good system. I mean, it's fluctuated up and down through the years, and it's really the promoters are, are doing their jobs now, and it's really starting to work for the riders and the promoters. Right. You know, and, I mean, the, our minimum purse hasn't went up much. Um, when I was with the Indian Ed Cycle Club in Red Wing, Minnesota, um, we, we hosted two uh, AMA Pro events. And back in 2000 and 2001, minimum purse was $5,000. And <clears throat> overage was 28.5%. So, I mean, we haven't went up a bunch. We're up to 30.5%. And our minimum purses now are $7,500. So, um, it hasn't changed much. But, uh, you know, the promoters have expenses too. And that's what I've, you know, I kind of understand. I've been, the, I've been part of the promoting side of it. I've been a racer, I've been a team owner, and, um, you know, so I know both sides. Everybody's got bills, and, like, I try and tell the riders and the, prom the promoters, we have to be a happy family to make this work, so everybody needs to be happy, and um, right now, I we got a good, real good thing going, and the, the promoters seem to be excited about promoting events, and, like I said, it comes down to having a niche as a promoter, you know, um, White Rose, world-famous fish sandwiches, um, their 50-50 drawings. Um, they all have their niche in what they do. Um, Freemansburg, Timmy Berg out there, he's, he's did a great job with uh, involving the crowd. So they always have, you know, our riders and the crowd, the kids in the crowd do a game to win prizes. And... You see more youth, you, you see more of the younger generation at our races now. And, you know, uh, Kevin Looney at the Devil Staircase, they've always had good crowds. Um, their numbers went down, so now they started this dirt drags, and they allowed camping for the very first time, people to camp on the property, spectators. And they blew it out again last year. So um, every promoter needs to find their niche. Well, that's what everybody's finding a niche, and, you know, sometimes other things, you know, Supercross and Motocross, they, there's more to do than just the races when you go to that event with your ticket. And, and some of the promoters, I think if we can get with something extra that they do for the fans that's included in that price, right? it, it would bring more people in because uh, you go to watch a race. I mean, everybody loves racing. I don't know who wouldn't love to watch motorcycles, but 
you sometimes you want some do, especially to bring young kids in. They they can't sit there for two three hours and stay entertained. Well, I know when Schaefer's got involved, uh, Schaefer's Harley Davidson got involved. Schaefer's Harley Davidson and KTM, um, you know, and um, when they got involved, when um, Carol Schaefer's daughter came to White Rose, she was just amazed at at White Rose the kids having a football game going on while the hill climb is going on, and different things, you know. Just the way the overall crowd was, that's that's why they got involved, you know. That's why they got involved because they seen it was so cool that the younger generation was there. Whether they were, they, you know, they weren't even watching the, the hill climb. They were playing football with, you know, there was 15 kids having a football game going on. And um, that just impressed her so much that that's, you know, they got involved. They were ecstatic about that. So, um yeah, it's, you know, I think we have a good thing going, and hopefully it can keep going, and we get back to our old ways. Yeah, we'll get back to that. That's a big uh, saying how, how much the sports changed, at least as far as our fan base. You know, growing up, you go to White Rose, and it was, you know, it was a biker rally. It was a pagan rally. The majority of the fans in the '80s, they were pagans. I, I remember I was I was a kid growing up, sitting out there watching my dad, and there'd be, you know, three hundred pagans sitting behind us. So right. that was a little intimidating as a kid. And now it's more, it's definitely a family environment, and all the riders do whatever they can for the fans. And I think that's the other thing that separates us from our sport is that we pretty much the fans have almost. 100% access to the riders before the event with no no barrier between them. You know, Supercross, you got to wait in line and get a ticket to see your favorite rider. He'll climb, you walk through the gate, and you go back to his trailer, and he'll shake your hand, sign a picture, you know, take a picture with you, sit you on his bike. That's something you don't get in any other motorsport, really. Right, well, that's the thing. I mean, and we're small enough yet. If this, I mean, if this series would ever take off, you have to have that, you have to have that organizational skills, you know, I mean, you have to have that mindset, yeah, the crowd needs to be involved, I'm going to use flat track for an example, AFT, um, they have an open paddock, they, you know, they take time in the middle of the race, they open the paddock up, and they bring them in, fan interaction is huge, um, Supercross does the same thing, and uh, our athletes nowadays are so well-rounded with the social media side of it that the fans need that interaction to see them with their helmet off, talk to them, you know, and, uh, yeah, there's just so many things that need, you know, our, our, our sport of hill climbing would have to change if it took off. But at, currently the way it is, we can still do that where fans can come in. We have open paddock before the race intermission. We have open paddock and after the race, you know, um, so, yeah, but, you know, I mean, it's two different animals between hill climb and supercross or even flat track nowadays. So, um, but, yeah, it, I mean, with all the different series going on, it's uh, hill climbing is coming back around. It, I mean, it used to be, it had a completely different label as what it, what it has now. And um, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah, no, it's definitely a good thing. We've come a long way from where we were even 20 years ago when I started riding professionally or 38 years ago when my dad started riding the 80s. It, it is a totally different sport now. 
all, all the riders have a totally different mindset than they did for a long time. And the equipment has advanced so much in just the last 10 years from where it has been. Right. It's, uh, well, you know, and when AMA pro, when AMA pro racing or back in the day, it was called the, uh, Daytona Man- management group. Um, when AMA Ohio sold off all professional racing, um, that shook things up. And, um, on our side of the country, that shook things up because it went from AMA Ohio to Florida. AMA Pro Racing purchased it, which was DMG at the time. Now it's AMA Pro Racing. And um, so it was a major change, and that change affected a lot of people. And it, uh, it's taken a while to come get back around, and uh, it's, it's definitely getting better. So... Um, AMA Ohio. Now I'd like to touch on that just so if the people, the people that are listening to your podcast, Brandon, um, AMA Ohio, a lot of people don't know this. Um, your individual districts would send rule changes in and Congress would vote on stuff that they didn't even know what they were voting on. Um, AMA Ohio has changed their procedure. Now there's, uh, specialized group committees so motocross is motocross flat track is flat track um just to let the hill climb community know there's a specialized sports commission now that is land speed racing drag racing and hill climb are involved with this and on the uh, hill climb side of it um jim o'connell from the new england area is on this uh commission Les Wolf from Waterford, Ohio is on this commission. I'm part of this commission. And Mike Bronk from Wisconsin is part of this commission. And Ron Dillon from uh, the Big Nasty. We're on this commission. So any rules that come in for amateur hill climb is now run through hill climb people. And it will make the progress a lot better for rule changes that need to be done. We're going to have our own hill climb is going to have their own section in the rule book now. Um, so yeah, there's AMA Ohio is, is changing their ways from the way they did business too, because they see the need to do that. And, uh, so you have a lot of people that are involved that know hill climbing and now they're the ones that will be making the rule changes on the amateur side. that will also help progress into the professional side of it also. So, um, I just wanted to bring that up cause I don't think a lot of people knew that and, um, AMA Ohio is changing the way they do business. <laughs> you know, that's, that's really good. And that, that helps grow the sport too. They change and make it uh, simplified and a more streamlined process for guys to get into hill climbing and, and compete in the hill climbing. Cause that's what we need to do. We need to grow. The sport needs to grow. I know I've spent the last five years going to more amateur races than I've ever gone to. And it's pockets. It depends what region of the country you're in, how much of the younger, younger generation is involved in hill climbing. You go to New England, you have four to five guys in, you know, the mini to 80 class. And you go out there where I haven't been to any races in Minnesota, but like I've gone to Ohio and, and further west a little bit than that. And your mini class has. 20, 30 riders in it. So uh, we need to bring these younger guys in to fill in the spots because 
it, some of these guys hill climbing aren't aren't going to be able to do it for a long time because it's not like it was, you know, 20 years ago, hill climber could run into this 50s or 60s before he retired. Right. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, uh, everything's evolving. And, um, like I said, every, every professional series in hill climbing right now, um, has a positive thing going for him. And, um, it's good to see. I just hope someday that we can all come together and, and, uh, making a national series as far as, um, you know, a split between East and West coast and then merge together in the center, kind of like it was back in the old days and bring everybody together. We could have two different styles of Hills to accommodate both and do a point system and, and, uh, crown a true national championship because that's how you're going to attract sponsorship. Yeah. And I, I think that's the ultimate goal to work through. And I, I, I think we're on the path to doing that. And, you know, I think what Matt Muscrow is doing with the Motoclimb series, I, I think that's creating that missing link to combine everything together. I, I don't see it happening right away, but a couple of years down the road, I think we may be able to figure out a path to combine that. Right. You know, no, Matt does a real good job. And, you know, Rockwell, Rockwell does a good job. All, all, of, all the bodies do a good job. And no. like I said, it's, it's just – we need to make it come together somehow, some way, and hopefully someday we can sit down and, and accomplish that. Yeah, no, they all they all put on great shows. Um, well, let's get into the uh, really big news that dropped yesterday from Indian. We touched a little bit on it earlier. Now, I you have way more information than I have. I know what came out in the press release. So uh, let's get into this. Indian coming back into professional hill climbing for the first time since 1939. I mean, this is a, a huge deal for hill climbing in general and, and the AMA Pro Series. So, I mean, how did this come about, and how how involved is Indian going to be in this in this endeavor? Well, it started out by uh, myself. I, I reached out to Gary Gray, and um, I reached out to Gary Gray and kind of pitched him on the idea told him about the new class we were running and how we changed our class structures. And, uh, you know, he, it wasn't a yes right away. He said, yeah, well, let's think about this. And I was thinking more of their FTR, the 1200 they have for a street bike. And, um, he says, no, if we were going to do this, we're going to go with our, our full blown race engine. Granted it's 750 CCs, but, uh, it shows some pretty good dyno numbers. And, uh, you know, there's a big deficit between CCs, the CC limit, and um, that's what he felt confident with with uh, doing. And you know, he uh, he researched. I, I've been preaching and preaching to our paddock about um, representing yourself well, and um, that's how Gary chose his rider. He went off of social media and um, he picked his rider. He picked his team. He wanted to go with. And, um, yeah, they shipped a, a complete FTR 750 to them. Um, Kester Racing built the swing arm. They used the stock chassis. And um, they built the swing arm. They put the motocross front end on it. Uh, when it was done, it was taken to SNS and uh, Lacrosse. They built the exhaust system for it. They dynoed it. Um, they did some test runs. They took it back to their factory, um, changed some things on it. So, it, I mean, 
John isn't a, a paid rider, but he is a factory rider. He is riding their equipment, and they are involved. So that's uh, that's pretty huge. And, and then there's some other news that hasn't broke yet that uh, Eric Buell from Buell Motorcycles, he's not a – there isn't a Buell motorcycle anymore. But he did supply Logan Zapala with a full-blown Buell race motor that they use for road racing. And uh, they've also built a new twin for the uh, – uh, a new motor that will actually be run in the premier class this year. Um, so realistically, we have two manufacturers involved right now. One currently doesn't make motorcycles, but that company was sold off and they give the Sapalas a motor for the premier class. And that's breaking as of right now. Um, I had talked to Logan to make sure that it was okay that I said that. And, uh, yeah, so Logan will have a new uh, a new ride for our premier class that is a, a factory road race motor. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I know EBR was sold off, but I, I thought they were starting to make, still under the EBR name and a new company making the bikes. So, Right, hey. and they're, they're, he got a full-blown race engine for the premier class. So, um, you know, basically that's another factory ride that's, coming to the AMA Pro Hill Climb Series. Uh, I mean, that, that's that's two great things. I mean, that's that's a huge step in the, in the right direction. I mean, both that going and, you know, Logan's going to be, if that motor works out for him, he's going to be unstoppable, I think. Well, yeah, I don't know. You know, I, like you said, every race team has their secrets, but uh, I – from what I had researched, you know, Logan will have another 40 horsepower from what he had last year. So um, he's definitely going to be in the hunt. But uh, we're getting back to the Indian deal. Um, that was just a work in progress. And oh, I got a, I was, I had personal phone calls with, uh, just so everybody knows, Gary Gray is uh, the CEO of Indian. And uh, he's involved with Slingshot. Uh, and he's also part of Polaris. So, um, yeah, and he's about racing. He's about racing, and uh, he said, why won't we get back involved with this? You know, that that was our roots years ago. And yeah. It, so, yeah, it's very cool. And hopefully, you know, when other manufacturers see this, and maybe it can be a turning point for us. I really hope it's a turning point, and, you know, maybe they come in and start in the Twins class, and they want to give that rider that they're helping out in the Twins uh, money to build one of their bikes on fuel and really help out. I, I think that'd be really, I think that'd be cool to see a team out. They have a twins bike and a fuel bike in the premier class. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and it's probably not out of the question. Um, it's, uh, he, he's, he's interested in the fuel side of it and they, they, they dabble in everything. I mean, they do land speed wrecking, uh, land speed. They do flat track. Now there's a new race that's part of Moto America that's going to happen in Laguna Seca, and it's they're going to do a bagger race. And now they built a they built a big a big Indian to go do this road race this bagger race at Laguna Seca in October. And um, so yeah, they're they're definitely about racing. They're definitely about racing, and we know our other manufacturers are involved with racing. So hopefully we can attract a few more. You know. Now, yeah, I think it will. Once someone throws the hammer down, others kind of tend to follow suit. Well, 
you know, right. at least the, the Harley Indian rivalry. That's where I'm thinking we'll we'll get that. Maybe, hopefully, I'm being optimistic. But you know, KTM they have they're into so much stuff too. There's no reason they couldn't drop a hat in here too. Well, yeah, anything's possible, but it, it still comes down to the social media side, and the big thing is television. And like I said, for 2020, we had a full TV package in, in place. Uh, and that was going to be a three-camera shoot, two cameras on the hill, one one roving camera from the starting line to the paddock into the crowd. And uh, so that was going to be our boost we needed. And, you know, unfortunately, that went away this year. So, And that was going to be nationally televised. It was going to be tape delayed, nothing live. Everything would be tape delayed. But we had... To get it on Fox Sports Network too would have been huge for us. Yeah, oh, that would have definitely been huge. I, I really hope we can that you can work that deal out again for twenty twenty one. Yeah, I, I talked to uh, Glenn at Realm, and uh, he's definitely about you know coming in and a little background on his side of it. He uh, he did if you watch any arena cross this year, um, the AMA arena cross was his production so. Um, they're very, very qualified people and, and know the side of, of the motorcycle racing. So it, yeah, that was a, that was really, really a gut punch for me this year. Yeah, it happens. I I know back, uh, well, the year that Colby won the national title, uh, I got together with a gentleman, I can't think of his name right now, but he used to be a videographer for ESPN and Motorola back when Motorola covered the hill climb. And he got with me and Harry Schreiber, and we shot uh, kind of like a test pilot episode to try and sell to networks. And I really don't think it went much further than after we edited it. So this yeah. this is this is a great deal that we're we're getting this, and it, 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 we need the exposure. Hill climbing needs the exposure. And I think once the masses see it, that I, I think it really helped blow. And and that's why I why I want to do this podcast really and why I wanted to have you as my first guest is there's so much information that we wanted to get out and I, I want to grow a fan base for hill climbing. And that's my point of doing this podcast is to grow that fan base. Right. Well, it's part of the social media thing. You know, um, Matt Musgrove, again, he, you know, he started a podcast now. And um, so, and Matt does a great job on the social media side of it and gaining the exposure for, for our sport and uh yeah so with you doing a podcast matt doing a podcast once the listener base grows um hill climb is gonna hill climb will come back around again i think i really hope so i'd love to see it come back around like i i've spent my entire life in this and the direction we're headed in now is the direction i've been dreaming of it to head for 38 years basically right it's a, just a work in progress and everybody's got to do their part from, you know, from uh, social media side to uh, promoting the events they're attending and promoting themselves as athletes. And, you know, it, it's, everybody has to do their part. And that's where this, like I use on our, our side of the country, everybody, it's got to be a happy family to make it work. And right now we have, that's gelling right now between our promoters, our riders, and that's working. And again, like I said, Gary Gray researched our riders, and you know he 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 seen what they were doing. He's seen how they carried themselves, um, and that's why there's a certain team. You know, the Kester's got the ride, 
and um, promoting. And like Gary said, it's for the AMA Pro Hill Climb Series. And that comes down to that John Kester did his job on his side of it as a rider, being professional at the events, you know, um, carrying himself well. And his social media side of him is how he was chosen to get the ride. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a work. Everybody has to do their part to make this work. And we have to go from the Stone Age to a more current thing. And that's why the Twins class was, the inception of the Twins class came to become more current. And, you know, it, it worked right away. We, we gained a manufacturer, so. Yeah, that's great. I, I'm glad it, it it's doing what it what we wanted it to do as far as getting a manufacturing right away. It's that's something that hasn't happened to hill climbing for a long time. I know people have said, Well, didn't Doctor Bob have factory team and stuff and I, I'm not sure what the deal was. You were more inside of that. I don't think they were a true factory team. I think they got They got parts. They, they got, got parts. They got parts from Yamaha. Yep. Okay. But Bob did all the tuning. Bob built all the chassis. Bob built all the motors. Um, Yamaha supplied them with parts, you know. And, um, you know, going back to Tom Reiser, Tom Reiser was a guy that absolutely believed that the banquet, when everybody used to go to Las Vegas for the banquet, that's how they, you know, that's how he got help from Harley Davidson. That's how Bob got help from Yamaha, which it was, you know. But times have changed with, the banquets aren't combined like they used to anymore. Everybody does their own thing, whether it's road race, motocross, you know, supercross, everybody does their own thing. So there's no bringing it together like years ago. Yeah. What everybody are doing, you know, what everybody has to understand, social media is a huge part of this right now. And for me, that's really hard because I'm not up to date on the social media side of it, the hash, you know, the, the different things you can do on social media. I'm not familiar with that. So, it comes down to the rider and, and AMA right now is looking, looking at that side of it for the hill climb because they have their social media side for AFT covered. And that's something they're looking at doing for hill climbing also. Mm -hmm. So the day of the event, when the race is over, it's out to the social media world, who won, who got first, who got second and a story, you know, uh, telling the story, Michael Locke, the CEO of AMA pro racing, you have to, like he told me, you have to tell the story. You have to tell the story of what happened that day for the people that aren't there. And um, that is one thing for 2021 that will be um, a huge presence on the AMA side. So um, they're, they're involving, they've got flat track on, you know, they started something new for flat track now. Um, they've been affected by what's happening in the world. And, um, but yeah, so there's a lot of changes on the AMA side that's coming also. Um, huge, huge part of it is going to be social media. And that's, that's the way the world works now. And um, like I said, I have to give kudos to Matt Musgrove because he's great on the social media side of it. Now, he definitely is, and that's something I'm trying to learn. You know, I've had Facebook for 15 years now, I think. And I think I just, this last month, I think I used my first hashtag. And I'm not even sure if I did them right, so... Right. And, and I just, I've never had an Instagram. I opened an Instagram account last week and I don't even know how to, how to work Instagram. Right. So well, I, I'm learning all this as I go. Like this podcast thing, it's, I had this idea and 
I, I kind of just jumped into it head first and that's kind of how I do everything in life. Right. No, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a big part of our world right now. And, uh, you know, and AMA recognizes that. And, uh, the thing about it is, you know, they, people don't understand they're, they're on a shoestring budget down there. They're so understaffed in Florida right now, that um, to make this work, granted NASCAR is behind them. NASCAR is behind AMA pro racing. It's owned by, you know, by, by Brian France, but it's, uh, it's everything still a, a very small budget for what, what they need. And uh, they're making it work on the flat track side of it. So if, when we 2021 rolls around and we have our social media side of it and uh, you know, we re, we fine tune our live timing and with our TV coverage that, you know, We'll be there in 2021. Um, I, I expect great things to happen. No, I, I really hope some great things happen. And let's see how uh, these last, these well, first two and last two races of the year play out. Um, that is something else before we get off here. The, with the two races going, are they going to be formatted as just sync two single races? Or are we going to do something a little different to gain more points for a championship? Um. We're gonna do, we're gonna change up the format a little bit. Um, I'm not really at liberty to say. I will send a mass email out to our paddock so they know. Um, but the kind of the way uh, the office is talking down in Florida, because it's only two races, we have to change our format because it wouldn't be a true national championship only running two races. So yeah, our format is gonna change. Um, I need to discuss with White Rose. I've already talked with uh, the Dayton Motorcycle Club. Um, each run will be, there'll be more than two runs, and each run will be scored for points. Um, some of the, the one run will be changed. It won't be um, on our traditional hills. The hill will, the, something will be changed on the hill to make it a separate run. Um Devil's Staircase might end up being four runs. Okay. And, um, you know, so each run will be scored individually. Uh, they want to carry on the tradition of naming a national champion with um, that's been going on since, you know, 1930. Um, there's been a national champion named every year. And even during war times and everything else, there's always been a national champion crowned. So... Um, yeah, there's going to be some changes. It will be a little bit different format. Um, it's going to be probably be a little bit longer days. And um, so, you know, and that this will go out if somebody from the West, West side of the country wants to come and run our races, um, they need to get a hold of me and uh, we'll get them licensed and um, we'll go from there. Hey, that sounds good. The more riders, the better, right? That's right. That's right. So, um, yeah, anybody that's listening that's uh, a West Coast pro, you know, and you want to come out and run for an AMA title, um, get a hold of me, and I can tell you the, the process to do this. Hey, that sounds really good. Uh, Hank, we're running here. We're running out of time. We'll let you go, Rob. So I thank you for having on. You have a plethora of information that we got out there today, and that's awesome that we got some of this out it's just awesome that uh the deal with indian coming on board and then 
what you said with EVR helping out Logan. So I, things are really looking up for hill climbing. So I really look forward to seeing how 2020 plays out the rest of the year and really starting to look forward to 2021 now. So, yeah. And uh, thank you to, to you, Brandon, for uh, taking the time to set this up and uh, hopefully uh, everything turns out good. And uh, this will help uh, the spectator base and for the riders on uh, our side of the country. Yeah, I, I think it will. I mean, we'll see how it goes, and uh, you keep doing the hard work that you got, and hopefully I'm going to keep doing the hard work that I'm doing here to promote and the riders to do their fair share with their social media presence. So all you riders out there, if you're listening, jump up your social media game. It's and That's the way of the world nowadays is social media. All right, Brandon. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you, Rob. All right, man, that was awesome talking to Rob. We got to learn a lot of cool facts and a lot of things about Rob. And, man, how about that Indian deal? Man, that is just something for hill climbing, isn't it? I mean, I'm just so excited to see this thing on the hill and hear it and, you know, see the excitement from everybody with having Indian Factory involved in AMA Pro Hill Climbing. Man, there's just nothing cooler than that. You know, growing up in this sport, this is something I've dreamed about you know, my entire life, you know, I would sit up at night thinking about getting the factories involved back in hill climbing and to have the Indian back. And back in the day, beginning of hill climbing, Indian was the machine to have the Indian Harley paddles. You know, we had Excelsior, had all kinds of bikes back in the day. But, you know, get Indian back in hill climbing, that is just awesome, man. And have EBR throw their hat in there helping Logan out. Man, that is just... I don't know, man. That is just so cool. You know, hill climbing is trending in that right direction now. And then the deals Rob had for for television for 2020, man, it really sucks that COVID knocked that out of the park for him. I really hope he can get that deal back in 2021 because getting some TV coverage for hill climbing, man, that's that's another step in that right direction to help everybody and help the riders be able to pull some more sponsorships going to help these clubs be able to pull more spectators and you know they're going to make more money the riders are going to make more money I'm, I'm really excited to see what the future brings with indian throwing their hat into the ring you know maybe hopefully some from harley davidson's list of this harley guys come on now indians in here let's get some harley davidson in here because Man, our fans are going to love a badass battle between Indians and Harleys in that Twins class. Yeah, that that's going to be something cool if that comes about. You know, I mean, we're going to have a cool battle between the Buell and the, and the Indians. So let's get some Harley battling in there too. Some Buell, some Harley, some Indian. Yeah, baby. Let's get it going. So, I mean, with all that, the Indian deal, tool coming in, in, the TV deal, you know, I'm really excited for these last two rounds. Uh, the change-up, it'll be a little bit of a change of pace, make a little bit of a longer day, but, hey, you know what? We need to have a couple more points and two races to crown a national champion because man, anything can really happen at a hill climb. Best rider in the country can break at any time. You know, it's happened multiple times. So, having the... Uh, ability to run 
two races and get, say, four or five rounds worth of points out of it, yeah, that, that's going to make it pretty fair and make a good, legit championship. And, you know, we got, you can't forget the Amateur Nationals coming up down there in Waterford, Ohio at the Pioneer Motorcycle Club. We really got to uh, support that, too. So all you amateur guys out there, you're listening. Man, you guys got the time to get time off of work. Get on down there to the Pioneer Motorcycle Club and run that amateur national. You know, like Rob was saying, you finish in that top uh, 4% in the uh, 450, the 600, 750, or open class, and you get yourself a provisional license. And you come out here and you can battle that uh, factory Indian in the twins class if you got yourself a twins bike. Or battle, you know, the top guys on AMA series in the 450 class. Or maybe score yourself a ride for the uh, open class. So, you know, hey, all you great amateur riders, you wanted the opportunity to move up. Now is the time to do it. You're going to have plenty of opportunity. And things are only going up from here for hill climbing. So, yeah, get on down there to Waterford. Race your butts off. Score in that top 4%, man. And come on up to the uh, pro side. Uh, we need some good quality riders here on the pro side, uh, more riders. The fans love seeing the bikes going up the hills, so let's get at it. Let's grow. Let's grow the sport of hill climbing, man. you got to do it. I think that's about all we're going to have for tonight. Uh, before I sign off of here, let me just say, you know, I'm kind of really loving doing this podcast thing. It's kind of cool. Sometimes it seems like a lot of work, but you know, it's really cool to sit down and get to talk about hill climbing. Hill climbing is something that I love. It's in my blood. I don't think I'm ever going to get away from hill climbing. So I love doing this, but that saying, you know, it's kind of boring and sitting here all by myself, talking to myself into a computer screen and not having anybody interact back, you know, and I'm having the interviews, I'm getting to talk to the guys I'm interviewing with. So, hey, anybody out there listening? You think you want to try this out and come on, be a co-host with me? I'm all down for it, man. Get myself a co-host. And we can sit here and we can talk about hill climbing. There ain't nothing better than sitting around doing some bench race and talking about the good old days of hill climb, where hill climb's going. You know, as we keep going here with this first season of Nitro and Mud, also I want to do a legend series. Uh, every couple of episodes, we're going to have on some of the greats of hill climbing. Uh, Earl Bowlby, Johnny Williams, DW7, Dave Watson, Carrie Peterson, uh, Robbie Peterson, Travis Whitlock, Jason Smith, Jeff Thomas, the beast. We'll get some, get Thomas on here. I think, man, we can have a good talk with Thomas. Man, that guy was wicked on a bike. Like Rob said in the interview, man, Thomas was the first guy to win the Naha Championship and the AMA Championship in the same year. So, you know, that guy's a pretty badass rider on a bike. And if you didn't get the opportunity to watch Thomas ride, man, you don't know what you missed. Thomas was the go-for-it dude. So, yeah, I think Thomas, I really want to get Jeff on here. I'd love to sit down and chat with Jeff. I bet that guy's got some stories to tell. You know, and I also want to talk to some of the up-and-coming riders. I'd love to get some of the young amateur guys on here that are aspiring to come up to the pro level. 
So any of you amateur guys and you think you want to do it and you're not on my radar, hit me up at nitroandmud at gmail.com. Love to get some of you guys on the show at some time, talk to some of the amateur guys. Also, through a week, we're going to have some of the top uh, pro riders in the series, all all four series. We're going to talk to some of the top pro riders, too. So, hey, guys, it's going to be a cool season. Uh, we're going to keep on recording season one up till December and take a little break. So, yeah, that's it. Anybody out there want to come on and co-host with me? Hit me up, man. I'm all about it. Get a co-host. Let's talk about some hill climbing. Let's talk to some cool old dudes from the sport. Let's talk to the up-and-comers in the sport. And let's talk to the guys that are there in the trenches doing it now. So before I go, the final thought before I go, I keep saying that. But let's give one more shout-out to the great people at Schaefer's Harley-Davidson and Schaefer's Motorsports. Really, without those guys, this podcast wouldn't have happened. They stepped up. And they gave me what I needed to get the equipment and get this podcast going and get the sport of hill climbing growing. So, man, thank you to all you all you guys up there at Schaefer's Harley-Davidson and Schaefer's Motorsports. Without you, Nitro and Mud would just be a dream. So I'm your host, Brandon Krieger, signing off for the night. I am out. Nice. Until the next time. See you later, guys.